The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 as we take a look at the scriptures and continue the conversation that's going on with Solomon. Solomon is uh, taking us through his his own journey of... uh, well, really, I guess it seems to be just a, a series of questions, doesn't it? Um, it's not so much that the faith is wafer thin. It almost seems that it's, uh, you know, like a vapor. And uh, what makes it difficult for him is that he recognizes that God is still there. However, it seems as if he doesn't care or not interested, which almost makes it worse than if he was there. And so this morning in chapter 3, Here's what he says in verses 1 through 11. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to tear, a time to mend, a time to be silent, and a time to speak. There's a time to love and there is a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And what does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden that God has laid on them, and he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom or understand what God has done from the beginning uh, to the end. When when we looked at the story of Solomon's life, he, he leaves enough writing behind so we can kind of get a you know a graph, an arc of his life, right? We, we've talked about this as a young man, probably experiencing the you know, the passion and the intimacy of romantic sexual love. And so he writes a very passionate, erotic book called Song of Solomon. And uh, then along the line, maybe a few years later, as some of his observations on life are gathered and put together, there's a book of Proverbs that uh, we have. We see somewhere along the way, because of the the different spiritual realities he was connecting to uh, through some relationships that he had, you know, his wives, wives, you know, it's not, this is not a wife thing. It's It's the... You know the spiritual realities of perhaps where some of these women were, um, that he he disconnected himself from God, and unfortunately, the gift from God that he had wisdom, this insight, uh, became a curse because he was fully aware of the disintegration, and we found out that wisdom is not enough to protect you from poison if you decide to take it. And so when you read this passage about everything, everything having its own time, I, I know that there's some of us that uh, it, it just seems like we've been too long. We, we, we would like to have a time of dance and celebration, but we just seem to be mourning. You know, we'd, we'd like to have a time of love. I just am a hater. You know, there, there is a, you know, I'd, I'd like to be tolerant, but I'm lactose intolerant. And there's a time for that. And, you know, and I just want to experience, some of you are going to get that later. And I mean, like, he's lactose intolerant. Um, and I also realize that I'm convinced of this, 
is that most of us have been trying to find the beauty in our lives to fill that sense of eternity that Solomon is saying that God has actually put in us. Um, some of you who uh, you, you read great literature or you, you're, in a, you're in a course where you're exposed to some of the, tr- the, the, the tremendous influential books of, of Western culture, uh, I believe it was Augustine who said that, that, that we have this God-shaped vacuum that nothing but God can fill, and it's true. I mean, this is what happens to us. Um, in fact, we try to fill that with anything, and there could be good things. I'm so, well, this is not a rant about doing naughty things. You know, I'm not going to insult your intelligence and say, don't do these things, because quite frankly, if you could stop, you would. And, and yet, I also realize that, that sometimes if you don't have certain things in your life, it's like, what are you left with, and what are you? I can recall uh, being so out of control with my violence and my temper that when I finally uh, you know, sort of admitted that I needed help and went to go see somebody, you know, okay, I was forced, but nonetheless, I went to go see them. Uh, my biggest fear was that, that I would actually, uh, I guess, be healed or be changed because I was wondering... If I'm not this person anymore, who am I? Have you ever been that, in that place where if you, you're afraid of getting well? Liars, all of you, apparently. <laughs> because you, when you go to the doctor, you don't want to get well. You just don't want to hurt anymore, right? You know, like surgery. You know, I, I want this to work now. I don't want it, you know, like if I scratch my head, my legs move. I want, it to, I want to be connected correctly. But you don't want to have surgery. You just want to, you know, you want to be better without having any kind of pain. So a lot of us actually try to, I think, uh, fill what that gap is and find beauty in our lives with good things. You know, they could be as simple as food or coffee or relationships and, and music and dance and art. And, you know, and unfortunately, especially when they're good things, um, you know, I'm pretty good at ignoring people sometimes, unfortunately. You know, I, I'm, unfortunately, I even seem to be wired that way. Um, and if, if you're a teenager, you're like meant to ignore your parents for a certain amount of years in your life. And, um, but I, I recall that the, there seemed to be certain voices that I could not shut out. And, the, and some of you will know this. When you go to bed at night or perhaps everything is quiet, you just can't stop those voices in your head. The regrets. You replay all the things that you didn't do well, the things that went poorly for you. You retell yourself the stories of when uh, someone make, took advantage of you, but you retell it in a way that you're the hero. You, retell, you re- recall an event where you actually had the right comeback um, instead of the wrong one. And um, <laughs> it, you know what that, that is? It's, a, it's an adult version of when you were a child, well, if I go blind, then they'll really be sorry for me, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and I think in many cases, we're just trying to find a way to uh, find beauty about our lives or experience beauty in our lives. As I mentioned, it could be anything as little as something as silly as coffee. In fact, coffee is a good way to explain, I, I think, sometimes just what we do. If the thing that we're doing isn't filling it, we just amp up. We never think in terms of, this might be the wrong thing. We just need to amp it up, make it louder, make it stronger. Um, how, how many of you ever, uh, did your, my mom did this, and... Um, by the way, she's a terrific woman. Mistakes are made, but the thing is, is that uh, you know, just a, a great. I love her a lot, and so well, it's my mom. You know, like that's a big thing to say. But I, I recall one of the one of the most significant things she she and I have done together is when she prayed for me about a year ago, uh, for for all of you actually, and 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 just our our lives and stuff and where we are. 
But uh, so when we were little, and, and you know, how, you're a boy, you're a small boy. You know, it's not like you are well behaved. You are meant to be squirrely, you know, and and just screw around and goof off. And and so my mother for breakfast would make café con leche. You guys know what café con leche is, right? Coffee and milk. Those of you who are Hispanic, you you take milk and bring it almost up to a boil. You put a couple of uh, teaspoons of Nescafe, right? Clásico, the coffee from Mexico, right? Not this swill they serve here north of the border. We're talking real coffee. Uh, and, so, um, and so she'd pour the coffee, I mean the milk, into the instant coffee, and it was very strong. And, and then, to make sure that it was palatable to a young child's taste, that was like maybe eight months, she would put a <laughs> big old nipple over the top, you know, then, mijo, and then uh, so there would, there would be, <laughs> there would be a, a couple of teaspoons of sugar, and then she would send me to school. And I thought, <laughs> <laughs> why can't you behave in school? Because I'm hopped up on coffee. You know? <laughs> and uh, sometimes there'd be a banana or an oatmeal with it. It wasn't just coffee. Like, wow, your mother was a beast. You know, she was. No, she was Hispanic, and that's what, that's what, that's what we did. And, and you get older, and, and some of you may not recall this, and maybe some of you do. You know, Back in the day when we wanted to get a coffee, you had to drive to a Winchell's to get a cup of coffee. That was the coffee shop. You went to Winchell's. And, or sometimes you went to McDonald's. The coffee was pretty good there, too. And then I recall, I guess about 10, 10 years ago or so, or 15. No, wait, it was last week. Uh, about 15 years ago or so, I was in San Francisco where I used to work. And came across a coffee house, uh, kind of a goofy thing, you know, with a mermaid on there or something. And I had, I ordered a cup of coffee. What would you like? A cup of coffee. I mean, you know, hello, you guys sell coffee. What else? I didn't come here for clothes. And then so, because uh, surely I don't want to wear a black apron or a green one. And so uh, they said, oh, well, you know, we have this, that, and the other. Cup of coffee. What's, whatever you got. And then I tasted it, and it was, oh my gosh, this is really, really good. I have to remember the name of this place. And so I, I vaguely remember it was Star something, you know. It, it kind of caught on. And then, um, then there was one down here in Brea that was like the only one close by. I remember we would, on a, kind of a big Saturday night for my wife and I and the kids, because they were a little tight, we would drive out to Starbucks. We'd hop up with the kids on some, you know, liquid <laughs> coffee candy bar and then set them loose in Brea. And then we figured... If they misbehave, like, oh, someone ought to talk to their parents. And, uh, and Lily and I would just enjoy time together, drinking coffee and talking. One day I went to Starbucks, and it was, I was late for something. And uh, they didn't have a, a drip brewed or something. And I said, wow, you know, I, I, I got to go. You know, I'm, I'm an important person, places to go, people to meet. <laughs> Do you know who I am? And uh, showed them the American Express card, nothing. And then... Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's an old commercial. Some of you won't remember that. So the, the, the fella, the barista, you know, um, so, sir, have you considered a... <laughs> Would you like to have an Americano? And uh, so this is, I guess, 10 years ago or so. I said, Americano? What's that? It's espresso. And I, actually, I was so impatient. I said, you know what? Just do it. Whatever. Do it. Cool. Whatever. It's coffee? Yes. Take it. <clears throat> and so... Would you like easy water? Sure. Make it easy. I don't, I don't want you to strain. So, uh, so I got the coffee, put the lid on, and I started to walk out, and I had a sip. And, and once that, that magical black elixir <laughs> was released in my mouth, I felt like if I had opened my shirt, I would be glowing like the guy um, 
from Twilight. Thank you. Thank, Edward, Edward, you know, it was just, it, I, I, that's when I actually believed in God, for, to be very frank with you. And it was music. I wept at the beauty of it. And um, yeah, uh, it, was, it was remarkable. I thought, I have never tasted coffee like this. And, and all of a sudden, you start, then you get to become a kind of a coffee snob, right? I need it at 182 degrees. You know, like, oh, really? Come on, you know? Or, you know, face the east when you make it. And, and all this. <laughs> you hear those people at Starbucks. One or two of you might be those people. You start getting really kind of weird and snobbish about your coffee. and Because uh, somehow you actually believe it matters. That a cup of coffee is going to make a difference in your life. I, I, my father was a French chef before he retired and passed away. And uh, he never cooked at home, though. I mean, it was like, I guess, like doing your job at home. Um, I think once or twice he did something. I remember my mom was ill and he made something at home. But it was, uh, typically, we always ate, no surprise, Mexican food at home, Mexican cuisine. And when we went out to dinner, it would always be some kind of Mexican restaurant over in East Los Angeles that I'm sure was long ago condemned and closed by the health department. I turned 20, um, he invited me to the restaurant there at the Beverly Hilton. He worked there and at the Jonathan Club. He said, let, let me make you a nice dinner. You're 20. You know, like, wow, I made it. I'm 20. And, uh, but actually, that was touch and go a couple of times. So it was like it was a celebration. So he, uh, he breaks, busts out this steak or some other stuff. And I, oh, you know, it's a steak. You know, it's carne asada. But looks like it's quite thicker. And uh, on, a, on a plate this time, not a wrapped in wax paper. And so, um, <laughs> so and, and utensils. I go, what is this? And so... Um, because we were essentially feral in our home. We were, you know, we weren't raised, we were jerked up. And um, so I cut into it, and again, it was one of those moments I was just, you know, in, this is an incredible meal, and the food was so good, and it's just delicious. And sometimes I wonder if all of these great experiences that we have that are so good that we can get so wrapped up around and we can kind of define ourselves by, have you noticed that even when it doesn't seem to be enough, we just amp up, we just do more of it? trying to fill that gap. And, and, and I, I wonder if, if isn't somewhere along the line God isn't trying to remind us of his own beauty instead, that he surrounds us uh, with that beauty. It's in those moments perhaps when you, um, you, you hear a piece of music, you hear Barber's Adagio for strings, and when it crescendos with the violins, you almost feel yourself caught up in the moment and weep with it. It's in the moment when you walk into a gallery and you see a particular installation or a piece of art and you are, it, half a second even stops you in your breath. It's, it's sometimes when you, it, in almost in a sacramental way when you prepare food and it comes out so delicious and, and, uh, and the people that you prepare it for are enjoying it. The way that you surround yourself with beauty. Some of, some of you, it's music. You, it's not just music. It is a piece of your heart that's in it. No matter what the style it might be. Okay, maybe not country and western, but the, the, most of the other... <laughs> Hey, 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 that's right. Uh, for some of you, because you actually played sports instead of just hear about them like I did, that uh, you, you watch an athlete in motion and you get it. You just, you just see the beauty of the skill and the physique and the, all those years of training working uh, you know, together well. And, and it's other things. It's dance. It's, you, you try to, we try to surround ourselves with beauty. And uh, even if others don't find it beautiful. And, and sometimes we, there, there are other moments when in, maybe even our relationships that I see this metaphor working for God as well. 
we get so accustomed to something that's majestic and, and, and crazy gorgeous that we don't even see it anymore. Um, have, have any of you ever been to Mount Shasta? Yeah, okay, maybe one person. So I'm over there in Mount Shasta, and it, it was, what's, what's funny to me is that people that live there, they're just used to it. But the first time you see it, you're like, wow, this is really gorgeous. I have friends that come visit. Um, every person that visits from out of state, what are the first thing they want to do? Besides Disneyland, or Disneyland if they come from the south. Disneyland or the beach, right? Especially from the Midwest or any place else where there's not one around. And those of us who live around here, how often do you guys go to... I, I don't go. I mean, I go... There's a baptism. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll drive by on PCH. Hey, there's the beach. You know, but I... I just have memories of eating sandwiches with sand. And... <laughs> this isn't... You know, it's just not good. And so it's, it's funny how even with, with people that we love deeply, you, you, you are lying in bed with your spouse, someone that you just love... Five years go by, 10 years go by, 20, 30 years go by, and, and you just, nothing. You know, no longer moved by that anymore. You're no longer moved by the magic of seeing your kids. You know, you, you're just not moved anymore. See, th- this doesn't happen to people who are perhaps disconnected from God. It happens to people who are connected to God tragically. The, the ones that we were so swept by his beauty and so enamored and captured by his kindness and then we got used to it. And we don't see it anymore. It's a condition that's actually happened uh, for so many years. Go to, go to Isaiah 53 for just for example. Isaiah 53 verse 4. The spokesperson, this prophet of God uh, speaking about Jesus says this, Surely he took up our infirmities, carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. In other words, in our, um, in our darkness and in our brokenness, our, our thinking was so backwards that we, we somehow assumed that all the uh, suffering and punishment that Jesus was experiencing was because God was doing it to him because of himself versus that it was actually being done for us. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, and though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. The... Um, the thing that's surprising about this account is that <clears throat> these are people, it's not other people, it's, it's us. It's speaking to. See, because Isaiah actually sort of sets up the context of this. I was kind of reading it a little bit out of order in the first three verses of the chapter. So now let me take you to this portion. Who has believed our message? 
And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. There was nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was actually despised and rejected by humanity, by all of us. He himself was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. It's a funny way of describing how we devalue people, isn't it? We hide our faces. But uh, you do that when you walk in a hallway or in a mall or in a restaurant and you don't want to make eye contact with somebody for fear that they might actually have a conversation. What do you do? You look away. You see, because it was somebody of interest to you or somebody that had value in your estimation, you actually sort of stay tracking. I love those uh, marriage stories that always start off with, oh, we were friends. Because that's not my wife's and I story. You know, I just saw her in a mall. She looked hot, so I thought, you know, <laughs> I'll ask her out. Six weeks later, I asked her to marry me. It's, it's been 30 years. I'm not sure. It was, it was, in hindsight, that was a great strategy. But nonetheless, uh, <laughs> no, it was, it was a good idea. Um, but um, I, 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 when I hear stories where people say, oh, we, 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 we used to hang out, which is the coward's way of saying, I really want to date you, but I don't want to call it a date, so we'll just, we'll just hang out. Guys, honestly, you know, dude, maybe one reason why you're not married yet is that you're just not wanting to date someone instead of just hang out with them. But nonetheless, it's not a marriage seminar. Um, and so they'll, they'll mention something like, oh, he was a good friend. I love it when they say, I used to try to hook him up with my girlfriends because he was such a great guy. <laughs> you heard those stories, right? She's a cool, cool, good person, you know. She was cool. We'd go out running together or we would just hang out. Okay, you're dating. You may not know this. Hello. Um, and then all of a sudden, it seems like it just dawns on them. They just see the person differently. They're walking down the stairs. The light catches their hair. <laughs> what the? <laughs> or perhaps the guy opens the door because you, your arm's full of stuff, and all of a sudden, you, just, you feel like you know, a princess, and he's Prince Charming. You know, it's just, it clicks. All of a sudden, you see the person for the first time. And, and you realize, I, I'm in love. I didn't even know it. See, this is what I think happens to us in many cases with God. That we finally see him in his beauty. And the most remarkable thing about that is that we find that he had already seen us that had no beauty. And says, I, I choose you. Long, you know, you were running and I had to chase you down. <laughs> But I, I totally, totally am for you. And you have incredible value to me. You are beautiful to me. Even though you saw no value in me. And so I find it interesting that at times, it, 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 is it possible that we can be so close to God and not see his beauty? Some of you, uh, you, you do this thing where, um, anybody here surf? You just have to be in the water doing that? Okay. And you know, the, you know those moments when you're on the board, you're waiting for the right set, you catch the wave just right, and you're riding, and you feel the rush and the power, and it's just an amazing experience, right? 
Because I've never had that. I've heard people tell me. And, um, <laughs> but I've heard it's pretty incredible. <laughs> no, I, went, I did that. Actually, I did that. And I, I, you know, I remember the one thing I violated the law. Never turn your board perpendicular to the water, right? And I caught this awesome wave. I was, you know, I was a thing of beauty to behold and landed on the shore, picked up. It was a, it was a long board because, you know, old timer. And then I uh, picked it up, water crashed, bam, knocked me down, a big old bruise. And so, okay, done with the surfing thing. Some of you, when you go out into nature <clears throat> and you, 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 you know all the trees and the fragrances of the forest and of a garden and, you know, you, you go to Descanso Gardens, you go to Huntington Library, you go to places, you can go to Penn Park and you, you can, you know, ex- you can appreciate the beauty that's all around you. It's in music, it's, it's in how we perhaps we want to dress, how we decorate our homes. We want beauty in our lives. And, and I think at times for, for us, even against experience, it's the triumph of hope against experience. We still want to believe in beauty and romance and magic. And, and so without even saying that, we want to say that we believe in God. And we can be so close to it and miss it completely. Let me take you to John chapter 1 for a moment as we begin to wrap down this talk. John 1, verses 1 through 14. It says this, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. I always find it interesting when people say, oh, if you're you know, kind of new in the faith, you should read John, because he's clear. And, um, and then it's like for the next almost seven verses, it has a, he gets distracted. He says, though through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. In him was life. And that life was the light of men, the light that shines in darkness. But the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, though. The world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which is his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those he believed in his name, he gave the right to become Children of God. Children born not of natural descent, human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. And maybe a way to begin to understand the word glory is if you put the word beauty in there. We have seen his beauty, the beauty of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It might seem like an odd thing to say that someone's alive has life in him. Well, I mean, because you're alive, right? You have life in you. Yes, I know, I'm alive. But this is not life, like just the fact that he was alive, but that he was able to give life to others. And the thing that made it tragic or the disconnect that John talks about is that people were so uh, you know, dialed in and living in death that they could not experience his life. And people were so dialed in and, co- and connected to darkness they could not experience his light. And people were so you know, dialed in and living in despair they did not experience his hope. And people were so dialed in in hatred and unforgiveness and cynicism and bigotry and intolerance that they could not experience his love. And yet, we try to fill our lives with beauty. 
So you can see the impossible position that we've placed ourselves in. That the very source of beauty and life and love and hope we didn't value. And everything else that doesn't seem to have much value, we hold it in such high regard. And then we wonder why. I don't feel like I have any meaning or beauty in my life. We can be so close and miss it. Just like in, in this, on a day like this, on Easter, um, I mean, it comes around every year. You know, it's, this is not, what's not a surprise to most of us, right? Um, you, you knew back in, in beginning of March when the chocolate, bu- chocolate bunnies went out at Target, you knew that Easter was coming, right? Because it, it happens, I think, the same weekend. No, it happens sooner than that. The weekend that the Valentine's Day stuff goes on sale on the 15th, the chocolate stuff bunnies goes up, right? Peeps, everything. Oh, Easter's coming, right? You know. You know. And yet, year after year, we can miss the significance of um, a physical, literal, risen Savior. In fact, we can be so close, we can actually speak to the voice that is God talking to us and totally miss it, that it's Him. Let me show you. John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse, 12, uh, verse 10. There wasn't a single man that stood by their friend and their teacher, Jesus. He was surrounded at the end of his life and at his cross by women who were just loyal and devout. And even at the, um, his resurrection, the first person he told was a woman. And even in this moment here when the tomb is discovered empty, the disciples, the men, were like, well, you know, okay, this is... I don't even know what to make of this. I'm out. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. You know, if I could take you into this moment, um, there was this uh, woman whose life was really shattered and experienced the beauty of God in her life experience to God who says I see you and I choose you and, and, and she was changed by that okay and I get it that she couldn't wrap her mind about what the possibility was of an empty tomb I mean she wasn't dumb she knew that 100 out of 100 people that are die normally stay dead right so why an empty tomb and so you know I Grief, sorrow, she's um, just can't say goodbye yet. So she takes a look inside, and she saw two angels in white seated there where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the other at the foot. And then they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. And this is what's amazing to me, is that, you know, it's, it's interesting. You can be so caught up in, in a deep significant emotional moment that the miraculous is normal to you. I don't know what these angels look like. Here's the thing that's funny, by the way. Throughout the scripture, every time an angel appears to a guy, he absolutely freaks out. Or the angel has to say, don't be afraid. Angel appears to a woman, she starts talking to him. (laughs) I don't know what that is. Whoosh! Ah! I don't know where they put my Lord. And I think, actually, at some very deep, significant level, 
she just, just needed to hear his voice one more time to say goodbye. And so she said, here's why I'm going through this moment. I don't know where they placed him. Now, I love this next moment. Because, you know, it's rich with human drama and comedy and emotion. It's difficult to read it without emotion. So if, you could, if you're a visual thinker and you run this in a film, it's, it's a wonderful, you know, moment. Um, verse 14, at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't recognize it was Jesus. Now, I get that. The, the last time she saw him, it was brutalized beyond... Recognition, right? Isaiah tells us he didn't even look like a man anymore by the time they finished beating him and died. <clears throat> Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking it was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, just tell me where you've put him and I'll go get him. I love this... Um, that's a mom. That, that's a, you know, that's a, a love of a woman. I mean, that is, that is a, a, a loyalty that most guys, we don't get. Um, I picture this, this, this little, middle, little Middle Eastern woman. You know, I, I'll go get him. You know, I, I'm not even mad. I just, you know, and, and by the way, when she's talking, she's probably not even looking at him because you'll see the next verse, she had to turn around to see him. If you took him and put him someplace, it's okay. Just tell me, I'll go get him not even having thought it through, that I'd have to carry him in. But she was willing because she so loved him. But this is where um, I find the humanity in the story further. And he said to her, Mary. She turned around and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. If you read the rest of the story, you, you see that she had this death grip on him, you know. So happy. It's like the greetings that you see when you, uh, you guys ever go to the airport, when, you know, you come in and out and people, people who haven't seen each other for a long time, they, they just hug and embrace like they never want to let each other go. Here was a woman who was, spent so much time with him, sees him, didn't recognize it was him until he spoke her name. I love that part of this story because I, I'm convinced that this is many it's the place where many of you find yourself. See, look, I'm going to close with this thought. Many of you are already speaking to the voice of heaven. It's the voice that, that encourages you to believe and to hope and to trust. And because of the of brokenness and fear of our own lives, we, we just don't want to be disappointed again. We just don't want to find out that maybe we've been wrong. We just don't want to put our faith into something that could turn out to be foolish. We just don't want to be betrayed again. We just don't want to be let down again. I totally get that. I, I, I truly, truly do. But if I could give you one thing to consider this evening, this, this morning rather, is, is this is the voice that can be trusted. The voice that causes your soul to thrive. This is the, the voice of the one who loves you incredibly. And sees a beauty still yet to be revealed and unwrapped in your soul. A person who, as he bled out for you, had you in mind. And, you know, I had you in mind, and you. It's, it's the voice of heaven calling to each one of us. Back in the uh, 30s, the original 30s, um, 
people who were students and disciples of Jesus were known as followers of the way. And they would meet in uh, caves and catacombs, you know, the precursor to most modern nightclubs. And, um, <laughs> and following that sacred tradition, we too will meet in a dark and damp place. And, uh, but on this day, uh, our brothers and sisters from thousands and hundreds, hundreds and thousands of years ago, and today in the world, uh, people in the Middle East, people in Asia, Australia, Europe, Central America, Mexico, um, throughout um, British Isles, right? Um, the two Christians in France, there are people who are celebrating, <laughs> there are people celebrating this day. And, and so in that time, they would greet each other on this day with something like this, they would say, someone would say, he is risen. And the person would respond, he is risen indeed. All right? So, just to honor an old tradition, you know, I know we're a mosaic. And uh, <laughs> but let's, let's in unison join this chorus that's being sung around the world and been sung in the past. All right? He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen. Father, thank you for being a God who lives and surrounds us with beauty. Your voice speaks to us and calls to us. And so what I pray for myself and my friends is that we would not take your beauty for granted. And for those who have never experienced it and tasted it, to see that you are good and kind. That they would step into this moment with you because of your son, Jesus Christ. And so, for the friends, the family members that are visiting today, for all of us, I pray that we would have an authentic, real, life-changing connection to you because of your son Jesus who rose today for us. That we might have life. That we might have hope. That we might experience you in our souls. It's in our son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier.